It is so good to be here with you. I have never been to B&B before, um, but mixing carbs with Bible teaching is really smart. Because carbs are like brain food, right? Like, I don't want to read my word until I've had some carbs. So I think that that's really wise. Um, my husband is a pastor, and we've been here at this church for 12 years. And it's just an honor to be here with you. But Saturdays are kind of a sacred day for us. So we typically just stay home. We nestle down. So that's why I haven't been able to join you. But thank you for having me this morning. Um, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge Kim. As I was writing this message, and I hope I don't get emotional, um, I was just thinking about how from a distance she has mentored me. She was the very first woman that I ever saw preach from a Sunday pulpit. And I was like taken back. I saw this redhead on stage standing behind the pulpit. I'm like, who is that? And it inspired my heart because that was something God had called me to, not necessarily a Sunday pulpit, but he had called me to preach his word. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like this is possible. And so Kim, thank you. You're a way maker. Yeah. Thank you for being bold and perseverant in your calling. And I can speak on behalf of all these women. You have discipled us. Um, so let's pray and we'll get into the word. Father God, I thank you so much for the honor and the privilege to be here. I thank you for this building and all the lives that have been impacted. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes and anoints and brings understanding. I thank you for each woman in this room. It's not by accident that they're here. You have something for them. I pray you'd soften our hearts to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, well, we are in our summer series, Life Doesn't Come With a Remote. And I've been thinking about this concept of life not coming with a remote and how nice it would be if it did. Kim touched on that last time, right? But before we get into that, I just want to ask you a question. When you're sitting on the couch in your house and you're watching a show, who holds the remote? Okay, by show of hands, do you? And you, by show of hands, who cares? If you don't care, I'm a control freak when it comes to the remote. I'm like, I want to be in control of this thing. But usually, I don't get to choose what's on TV. I'll just hold it. But it's really not what I want to be watching because I have three little boys, and so they want to watch cartoons. Or my husband wants to watch baseball in the evenings because baseball season never ends. Amen. <laughs> It is the longest season ever, and there is a night on a game on every single night. Last night, it went 12 innings. He didn't go to bed until 1130. He was like, oh, it's the best game. And I was like, mm -hmm, that's great. So when I get the remote control and I get to actually choose what I get to watch, I'm like, oh, man, this is fun. But I don't know where to start because there are so many things, right? Like, should I watch Fixer Upper? Because, come on, Chip and Joanna, they never get old. Like, should I watch the news and get depressed? Like, what should I do? Say yes to the dress. Anybody a say yes to the dress fan? Oh, I love that show. Well, just recently I was like at home and I was turning the TV on and an infomercial was on. Okay. Now I realized that my first response to an infomercial should be change the channel. But every single time I'm like, hmm, what are they selling? And there was this air fryer. Have you ever heard of an air fryer? I have never heard of an air fryer. You guys, half the mess, half the calories, half the cleanup, half the everything. I'm like, sign me up. I mean, I want some fried chicken right now with half the mess and half the calories. Now, every time I do this, I watch this infomercial and I'm like, why am I watching this, right? I like snap out of it and 15 minutes later, I'm like, I can't get that part of my life back. 
But to be honest, like, watching infomercials isn't that big of a deal for me. Like, I zone out. It doesn't affect my life too much. But it did get me thinking about this concept that sometimes life does come with a remote. Because just like how we get to choose what we zone out on on TV, God has given us a choice about how and where we choose to invest our time. Now, sometimes I get this all wrong. And sometimes I invest into things because I think it's going to fill me up, but it actually leaves me feeling more empty. Like Instagram, for example. Social media. Man, I have a love-hate relationship with social media because I follow a lot of pastors on there and a lot of my friends on there, and I want to know what's happening in their life. But then I go on to, like, Instagram TV, and I, like, zone out on makeup tutorials for, like, 40 minutes watching girls do their makeup. It's just the craziest thing. So because of that, I was like, okay, I'm going to take a social media break. I'm just going to take a week off. And I was feeling pretty spiritual. I was like, okay, I got this, God. Like, I'm going to detox my brain from social media. But what I did was I would pick up my phone, and I'd be like, shoot, I can't go on Instagram. So I was, like, scrolling through my phone, like, what else can I distract my mind with? And I chose the weather app. It doesn't get much more pathetic than that, like the weather app. Like, I would look and be like, what's the weather today? And then i put my phone down. And then something happened, and i pick my phone up and be like, shoot, no Instagram. What's the weather today? And then, like, I'd be looking at Fiji, like, what's the weather in Fiji? Like, what's the weather in Italy? Like, all the places I want to go. And so I was just zoning out on the weather app. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Well, here's the thing. What I realized is that It really didn't matter what the app was because the root of my issue was this. I had created a habit of filling my time with my phone. But if I dig a little deeper, here's the honest truth. I was turning to my phone to escape. I would turn to my phone whenever I was stressed or I was worried, whenever I was avoiding adulting. Because like I said, I have three little kids. So whenever I was being overwhelmed by them, I would just turn to my phone. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Not right now. Mommy, not right now. When I was feeling lonely, I would turn to my phone. Or when I was bored, I would turn to my phone. Now, perhaps some of you can relate to this. You know, maybe it's not Instagram. Or maybe it's not vegging out on Netflix like me. But how do you fill your time? What do you turn to for escape? Maybe you shop. You know, shop till you drop. You're just like Amazon Prime all day. Maybe you drink, and I'm not talking about apple juice. Maybe you dig deeper into your work. Success is what is going to fill your cup. Maybe you become consumed with exercise and diet. Maybe you get lost in your novels, or maybe you just stay as busy as possible. Now, none of those things are bad, right? And there is nothing wrong with needing to check out. Right? Like sometimes our brains and our souls need rest. And that's okay. Like I just want to eat some chocolate and watch New Girl and not be judged. Like I get that. And if you're in a season right now where you're in pain, I got to this point of my message and I was thinking that there might be someone in here who's dealing with like grief that is so painful that you need a little bit of numbing. And so God is allowing you to soothe that numbing right now. And that's okay. If you need to soothe that with numbing right now, That's okay. God will bring you out of that. He will bring deliverance. But for all of us in here, if we're turning to things for escape, here's the things. Oftentimes, the things we turn to to fill us up don't truly fill us up. They leave us feeling more empty. Like Instagram. 
I go on there when I feel lonely, and 10 minutes later, I feel more lonely. So the question I want to answer this morning is this. If the things we're turning to empty us more than fill us up, how can we start living a life that is more fulfilled? All right, open your Bibles with me to James chapter 1. Um, we'll be starting in verse 25. And if your phone's a distraction, you don't want to use your Bible app, you just silence it, you put it face down, don't think about it, because I will have the scripture on the screen. Now, the letter of James is one of my favorite um, books in the Bible. He is practical and concise. And how do I say this? Like, he just gives you a very clear and direct kick in the butt. Like, he's a no-mess-around pastor, preacher. We know for sure he was a pastor to the Jewish um, Christians of his time. And here's what he has to say, starting in verse 25. It says, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Okay, so this verse says that if we listen to and we focus on this perfect law, what is this perfect law? Because when I think law, I think confinement. But apparently this perfect law brings freedom. So what is this perfect law? And it's the counsel of God. So this perfect law that brings freedom is the counsel, the advice, or the wisdom of God. So he says when we listen to and we focus on God's advice— we will be blessed in what we do. Now, this word blessing is where we're going to focus. Because when I think about blessing, I think monetary. I think a physical blessing. Bring it on, Jesus. New car right here. But the blessing that he is referring to here is this inner gratification. Because he's talking to a persecuted church. So he, they're not expecting a house from God. They're not expecting actual physical blessings from God. They might be expecting miracles from God, but they're not expecting monetary blessings from God. He's saying that you're going to receive this inner gratification, this inner fulfillment in your soul when you listen to and obey God's counsel. So in other words, James is saying that if you want to find true fulfillment and true gratification, there's some things that you can absolutely turn to. So let's jump over to verse 19. And this is where the beginning of this passage starts. So we started in the middle, and that's the promise that we're going to cling to. But how do we get that? So verse 19 through 21 says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and all the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Okay, so our first step to finding true fulfillment is this. Listen up, be quiet, and calm the heck down. That's his recipe. That's the King James sassy version, right? Listen up, be quiet, and calm the heck down. That's what he's saying. Now, I kind of wish that God's recipe for fulfillment was a glass of wine and a hot bath, but it's not. See, I love this because at first glance, you're like, okay, like this is pretty simple, right? Like I can accomplish this. I can live this out. I can be quiet and hear people and not get angry. But, I mean, if I'm honest, I can't slow down long enough to hear how someone's day is going. 
let alone to allow someone to be fully heard by me and to be really present with them, especially if the things they're saying I don't agree with. See, in our culture, we've been trained opposite of this truth, right? Be slow to listen. Be quick to speak. Be quick to get angry if someone challenges you. But God knew that this was going to be difficult for us. So if we look at verse 21, he says this. He says that we need to get rid of all the things that are corrupting us, so your anger and your pride, all of these things. And he says, humble yourselves. See, humility, that's the key. See, when we have pride in our hearts, we don't want to listen to others, right? When we have pride in our hearts, we want to speak at people, not with people. And when we have pride in our hearts, we erupt with anger when someone wrongs us. Now, it might not be an outward eruption, but it's this inner turmoil and grudge that we hold against that person. Now, I have absolutely experienced this in my life. Just a few years ago, I had a falling out with a friend. And this person and I were really close for a season, and then I felt like she had done something against me. And I really was shaken by it. And then after the grief of that relationship was torn apart, I got really angry at her. And I wanted God to bring revenge, if I'm honest. And there was this one day where things just came to a head and it just got ugly. And I went into my bathroom and I locked the door and I turned off the lights because I just needed to be silent before God. And I just got on my hands and knees and I was crying out to God. And I was just talking about all the things about her and saying, God, won't you bring justice? Won't you fix this situation? God, what are you doing? And as I'm lying there on the ground and my kids are like banging on the door outside the bathroom, I, I, the parable of um, the prodigal son popped in my head. And I was like, that's interesting. And I know that story because it's well taught in the church. And I started walking myself through that story. And it's a story about two brothers, right? One goes and squanders his inheritance. One stays home and does all the right things. And the moment that the younger one who squandered everything comes back, what does the father do? He runs after him. And he wraps him in a cloak, and then he brings him in home, and then he throws a party. And when the older brother heard about this party, he was like, oh, heck no. Like, you have never killed a fattened calf for me or cooked a prime roast for me. Like, what is wrong with you? And when his dad came out to him and he said, hey, like, what's going on? And he started complaining, and he was throwing a fit that, like, he doesn't deserve your love. Do you know what he's done? And he said, my son was lost, but now he's found. And as I got to that point of the story in my head, the Holy Spirit whispered to me, you are acting like the older brother. Now, he dished out to me a huge slice of humble pie. Because that wasn't conviction that led to shame. That was conviction that led to humility. That who do I think I am? That I can call on the revenge of the Lord for my enemy. Because who was I to God? I was his enemy. See, he ran after me and wrapped me in a cloak and brought me home and threw a fat party for me when I was completely unworthy. So therefore, I need to distribute that same grace to even my enemy. See, pride comes before the fall. And there's no way to find fulfillment or blessing if we don't humble ourselves before God and other people. Now, what exactly is humility? Verse 21 explains it. It says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, this save isn't salvation. Christ is salvation. So what is he talking about? How can humility save me? See, humility is oxygen. <sighs> Have you ever noticed that when you're angry, you can't breathe? 
you're just like, mm. like you just, you feel like you're kind of suffocating that you're oppressed. That's what pride does. Pride suffocates us and oppresses us. But he says humility is oxygen to your lungs. It's our source of life on this side of eternity. I read this quote by um, author Norvin Richards, and he wrote a book on humility. And he says this, To be humble is not to have a low opinion of oneself. It is to have an accurate opinion of oneself. And then he goes on to say that you don't need to have, like, you don't need to think you're the best or the worst. You just need to know your imperfections and your, um, your strengths, right? Like, what are you good at and what are you bad at? And have an accurate idea of those two things, and that is humility. So for us, that means that God is God, and last time I checked, we are not. So when he has something to say to us, we submit under his authority because that is humility. We say, okay, Father, you know what's best because you are sovereign. You can see above all, and you are for me, not against me. And so we humble ourselves under God's leadership because that's the safest place to be. And then with each other, that means that we don't have to prove ourselves to each other because we know where we stand. I'm weak over here, and I'm strong over here, and that's just who I am. And we don't feel threatened by someone who disagrees with us or someone who wrongs us because we know that we've been forgiven. So that's our first step to finding true fulfillment, and it's humility. Okay, so next, let's read verses 22 through 24. James says this, Do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Okay, have you ever, like, come to church on a Sunday morning, and the pastor's preaching a message, and you're like, wow, that is very impactful. Like, he's just preaching right to you, and you're like, how does he know what I'm struggling with? And then at the end of the message, he kind of challenges you to take a next step, and you're like, I got it. But then service gets out, and what do you do? Like, you go say hi to a friend, you're like, hey, girl, what's up? You start chatting, and then you have to run to the bathroom because, like, you just drank two cups of coffee, and then, like, you catch up on some text messages, and then, like, all these things happen, and by the time you get to your car, you're like, I don't remember what the teaching was about. This happens to me all the time. I'll have a friend come up to me and be like, I missed the church today. Like, what was the teaching about? And I'm like, right, um, it was really good. You should listen to it. (laughs) See, this is what James is challenging and reminding his readers to do with this illustration. He's saying, if you hear the word of God and you do nothing about it, you deceive yourself. Because it is not possible to experience fulfillment unless there is action involved in what you're hearing. And I think this might be where we get stuck in our faith. See, because it doesn't matter how many sermons we listen to or how many worship songs we sing, if there's no movement involved, our faith becomes stagnant. It's kind of like a pond, right? It doesn't matter how much fresh fresh water is coming into that pond. If there's no movement of water going out, bacteria and mold is going to grow in there. And that is much like our faith. See, the word of God was not meant solely for consumption. It was meant for distribution. And that's how life flows through us. Now, I think the misconception about, like, bold faith and living our faith in action is that, like, we have to do the most incredible things, right? Like, I have to sell everything I have and give it to the poor. But sometimes the most humble acts of obedience 
lead to the most incredible transformation both in our lives and the lives of those around us. This summer, I got to go on a mission trip to Mexico. Is anyone in here who went to Mexico with me? Woo-hoo, Christy Club. Yeah. Okay, hi, girls. Well, I got to go to Mexico, and I get to go every single year. And um, I go because we get to build a house for a family. And there is nothing more transformational than seeing someone go from poverty to opportunity. And it's just incredible. But at the same time, I selfishly go because Mexican food is really good. And I selfishly go because I get a week alone with God. And so it's just this space where I'm like, I can hear the voice of God because the distractions of home and the distractions of life just aren't lingering around. And all I have is God. And so in years past, I feel like it's been a time where God has really um, told me my next step. And it's where he's like really um, inspired my heart for ministry and for living with purpose. And so this year, that's what I was anticipating. And so every single day, I'd open my word, and I would listen to the teachings, and I just felt like God wasn't speaking to me about anything. And I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I really missed my kids. And on the very last night, um, our pastor who had been preaching to us for the whole week, um, I took a moment to speak to the three young kids that had come with us. We had three 10-year-olds that built a house with us. How cool is that? And he spoke to them, and he said, I just want to take a moment to to talk directly just to the young people in the room. And he told them this, and I'll never forget this. He looked at them, and he said, you have not received a junior Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that lives inside you is the same Holy Spirit that equipped Christ for the cross and that resurrected him from the dead. The same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you is the same Holy Spirit that equipped the disciples to do miracles and to do greater things than Christ. So don't ever think that you are a second-class citizen in heaven because the Holy Spirit of God has given you the full authority and the full power to live your faith out right now. And he's talking to 10-year-olds, and I am, like, starting to cry because I have a 9-year-old. And I start thinking about my little boys back home. And what came to mind was about seven years ago, God commissioned me. He said, your greatest ministry is your children. And for about a year, I was living in that. And then I kind of got distracted. And I started saying, well, they're kind of like my second ministry. My first ministry is like, you know, doing things at the church, right, God? Like, that's important. That's significant. But I just remembered, daughter, listen and obey. What have I asked you to do? Wipe some butts. (laughs) Feed your kids. Teach them about me. Forgive them. Say you're sorry when you get angry. Show them who I am. That is your call, daughter. That is what you need to focus on. So that's what God reminded me of this summer. That my greatest ministry, my greatest step of action is raising these three boys that he has entrusted to me. See, the key to our faith not becoming stagnant is movement. It may not be big and bold. It may be seemingly small and behind the scenes, but it's absolutely going to bring fulfillment and transformation in your life. So what movement has God called you to? Where is he asking you to listen and obey? Maybe it's just in a relationship. Forgiveness. Have a hard conversation to have some reconciliation. Maybe it's to take a rest. Maybe it's just Sabbath. You're going and you're hustling and you're working every day. And God's like, I just need you to slow down. Just with one day, honor me. And I trust, trust me, like the world's not going to fall apart. 
How is God asking you to, stay, to take a step of action? So that's our, so our first step in finding fulfillment was humility. And our second step is action. Now let's read the final verses in this passage, starting in verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the word the world. So this word religion that James uses three times, it's only found two other places in the New Testament. And so the writers of his time stayed clear of this word on purpose because when they heard the word religion, they thought cults. They thought like pagan worship. That was religion. Worship was Yahweh. Religion was them over there. And so it had a lot of negative connotations. Like even in our day, it has a lot of negative connotations, right? I had a friend one time that's not a person of faith. She, she doesn't, she's not interested in any part of faith, but she's one of my best friends. And she was introducing me to some people. And she was like, hi, this is my friend Diane. And her and her husband are really religious. And they're really good people. And I was like, what are you saying? Like, stop talking. I'm not religious. Like, I love Jesus, but I'm not religious, right? Because, like, it has all of these negative connotations attached to it. And so James knows that. And James is purposely highlighting this word religion. He's like, because all the religious people, their ears are going to perk up. And then all the people who are like, yeah, what is true religion, right? So this is what he says. First, he says religion is meaningless, if you consider yourself religious, but you look no different than the world. And the example that he uses is that someone who thinks that they're really righteous and they have like all of these rules, but yet they gossip and they slander other people. He's like, that's not religion. That's just self-righteousness, right? And then he goes on to redefine what religion truly is. And he says this, true religion the one that actually honors God, the one that is pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows. See, in James's culture, the fatherless and the husbandless were the most vulnerable in society. Women and children were considered just like possessions to be owned. And if they didn't have anything, then that was their lot. Like we weren't called to take care of them. We're just called to take care of our own people. So as his audience heard that, they would have gasped, like, oh, really? You want us to take care of them? Well, James is well-versed in the Old Testament, and so he's actually quoting a scripture from Psalms. And I want to read this psalm to you. Psalm 68, 5 and 6 says this. God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. That's exactly the examples he uses, right? We are to care for the orphans and the widows. It says, this is God whose dwelling is holy. And he said, true religion is this, pure and faultless religion. That's another way of saying holy. That means that when God is in his holy of holies, he's not just sitting on a throne saying, aren't I so fabulous? No, he's getting in the muck and mire of life with us. And he's being a father to the fatherless, right? And he's a defender of widows. And I love verse 6. It says, God places the lonely in families, and he sets the prisoners free, and he gives them joy. 
These prisoners are both physical, spiritual, and emotional prisoners. This is our God. This is what true holiness looks like. So James is saying, if you want to find true fulfillment, you need to love people the way God loves people. Now, this is where we're going to get stretched. And this is where things are going to get a little uncomfortable. And the question that I'm left with is, okay, God, that sounds really great, but how do I do that? How do I love people the way you love people? And our greatest example of that is Jesus, right? Jesus didn't just do life with people that, like, the world detested, right? Like, he got in with them. He hung out with them. The religious people were like, no, not them. And he was like, absolutely, these are my people. See, Jesus didn't just come for a select few. He came for every single person. So if we want to answer that question, God, how do I love people the way you love people? It means that we remember that Jesus came for someone, whether we consider them a friend or a foe, whether we agree with their lifestyle or whether we feel that they deserve love or not. So if we're going to love like God, it's going to be radical. I heard a story about a Canadian couple when we were in Mexico. Um, they came from Canada to Mexico, and they had this burden. But they didn't really know what exactly they were going to be doing. But they moved into this small farming community, and the woman um, in the marriage was like, I, I see a need. And the need was that there was these women who would go out, and they would work the fields, but they had really young children. And they couldn't bring their children with them. So in order to work, they needed someone to watch their kids. And so she's like, I can take a couple kids. And so she started babysitting these kids during the day so the mamas could go work the field and then come back. Well, one of those women who she was watching the kids for came to her in tears one day and said, you have to come. I know a woman who has tied her baby to a chair and her toddler to a chair and left them with a bowl of food and water because she has to go work. Now, can you imagine how desperate you have to be to tie your precious babies to a chair out of desperation, hoping that they would just stay safe. And then the agony that she must have been experiencing as she's laboring these fields, thinking about her babies back at home. I can't even imagine. And she didn't do that maliciously. She did it out of desperation because she says, I have no other options. If I don't work, you starve. So she tied her babies there, and so this woman heard that this had happened, and she said, show me where this house is, and this isn't a house, it's a shanty. And she got in, and she untied those precious babies, and she left the mama a note, and she said, here's where I am, I'm going to take care of them. Come find me. And then that mom came to her later that day, just in tears, thank you, thank you. And in that moment, she received her call from God. She said, I'm going to start daycare. <laughs> And so every single morning, for free, they pick up 60 kids. And in all of these poor house communities, and um, if they're five and less, so they have to be ages five and less, and she brings them back to this daycare, and she feeds them, and she washes their clothes, and she gives them baths, and they take naps on comfy little mats, and they play with toys, and they have dignity, and they're safe. And then at 3.30 every day, they take them back. And they do that five days a week for free. Now, as I think about this couple, I think, man, they gave up everything. They are not living in luxury, right? They live in a mobile home, like on the site. 
but I can imagine that they have so much fulfillment because they are living in the purpose that God has called them to. They are blessed because they listened to God's call. Now, what does it look like for you? What does it look like to live in God's call for you? Maybe it just means forgiving those that have hurt you. How are you displaying God's radical love? Maybe it means caring for the refugees and the immigrants and those enslaved by human trafficking. Maybe it means using your time and your resources to impact someone's life. Or maybe it just means true reflection on the things you believe. Does your gospel look like the gospel? Does your religion look like Jesus? Is it filled with sacrifice and compassion and grace? And so that's number three. To finding true fulfillment, James is saying, love people the way God loves people. So we had humble yourselves, movement, and love. So we started this morning thinking about how there are things in our life that we turn to, and we think, man, that's going to fill me up, but it actually leaves me feeling empty. A friend of mine uh, gave me this beautiful tapestry, and she hand wrote on it, and it says this verse. I don't want to get it wrong. It says, the only one who can truly satisfy the human heart is the one that made it. And I'm constantly looking at that when I'm turning to things that I think are going to satisfy me, and God's like, I'm right here. Like, I didn't call you to do this on your own. I didn't call you to live a fulfilled life without me. And then when he calls us to him, he's going to give us some action. He's going to give us humility. He's going to give us the things we need to love people. So if you're here this morning and you're running to things that don't really fill your heart, maybe it's an addiction or maybe it's just social media or whatever it is, I just want to ask that in a moment when we listen to this worship song that you surrender that over to God. That you just say, Father, I just, I feel like I just need to surrender this over to you. I need you to help me in this. Or if you're here this morning and God is asking you to do something, there is something long before I started speaking that God has been talking to you about. And then the Holy Spirit is just coming, and he's just watering that soil. And God wants to grow that inside of you. So what seed has he planted inside of you? And you know you need to take an action step, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's out there selling everything you have and moving to Mexico. What is it that God is asking you to do? Where does there need to be movement in your faith? Or if you're here this morning, you're struggling with pride. Ask God to remind you of the grace that you received. Don't ask to be humbled. That never works. But ask him to remind you of your need for him, your desperate need for him, that no matter how religious you are or how many right things you do, that we all fall short of the glory of God. We're going to pray, and then we're going to take a moment to listen to the song. And I just want this time to be somewhere where we can digest this word. Our life is busy. So let's just digest what God has spoken, whether it was one word that you heard or God spoke directly to you or it wasn't even here, but there's something else you heard this week from God that you just need to reflect on. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to foster that inside of us so that the enemy cannot rip it away, so that the sun cannot scorch it and the weeds cannot entangle it, right? But that it can grow in fertile soil. Let's rest with the Lord right now for just a few minutes. I'll pray. 
Father God, I thank you so much. God, we acknowledge that you are holy and pure. I love that your dwelling place is a place where you rescue people. It's not a place where you're separated from us, God. No, you get in it with us. I pray, Father, for courage to do the things you're asking us to do. I pray, God, for encouragement for the woman in this room that feels lonely, that feels isolated, that feels sad and depressed, Father. Would you comfort her? Would you fill her with your love? God, I pray that you would help us to turn to you for fulfillment. Mm, We love you, Jesus. Amen.